0: Coming up on Streamageddon, it's the tale of two Lokis. Specifically, two seasons of the Marvel TV series Loki. We're talking about everything Loki in the lead up to this week's finale, plus the rest of the mess at Marvel. What is going on with their strategy? And speaking of strategies, the streaming world has one strategy in mind, and it's got a fun word you'll love advertising we'll talk about that and more right after these no i'm kidding we don't have ads it's just a show for you here on streamageddon Welcome back to Streamageddon, the TV and streaming podcast that is its own kind of God of mischief, if you will. I'm your host Chris Barlow, and I am joined by a variant of mine, Diane Nora. How you doing Diane?
1: I'm doing great. I'm thoroughly enjoying the timeline I'm currently occupying.
0: Yeah, you know, I don't know which timeline you're on, but the timeline I'm on is really rough. I'd like (laughs) to come join you on your timeline, and perhaps I'll get the opportunity to a little later in this episode when we talk about... Loki, the Disney Plus show, currently wrapping its second season, and I'll just uh, dispense with this at the top. We are uh, going to talk about every episode up to the season finale. That means up to episode or through episode five of season two, we have not yet seen the season finale because you listener if you are listening to this the day it drops because i know you're just hungering for Streamageddon, you also have not yet seen the season finale of loki i have some ideas about where the season is going and i bet diane does too but we are going to talk about everything up to that season finale and what it means in the broader disney marvel tv universe some people call it the mcu but i refuse then Next week, we will be back with a little spoiler cast to see, well, did the season finale change our opinions? Mm, You'll have to wait to find out.
1: But before we talk about any details about the plot of Loki, we promise to give a spoiler warning for the first season and the second season through episode five. But right now, we're just gonna, don't worry yet.
0: Don't panic yet, unless you are, let's say, Kevin Feige or one of the many executives at Marvel where they seem to be panicking All the time these days. That, coming soon as we get to the news. But before we get to a section of the outline I titled A Whole Mess of Marvel, we're going to start uh, with some other streamers, beginning with last week's big bombshell, according to Threads and the other social platforms. Uh, Disney has agreed to buy... A streaming service they already own two-thirds of and did contractually agree to buy about four and a half years ago. This was shocking news to people, Diane. Do you know which streaming service I'm talking about? Hulu. Hulu. The cockroach of the U.S. streaming industry. The, the streaming service that not just will not die, but is in fact profitable profitable a trailblazer, the one that figured out advertising before everyone else, and was once upon a time owned by three companies, and soon will be owned by only one.
1: Hulu is the home of some great original content. I hope that it uh, keeps a lot of its current aesthetic.
0: I hope it keeps its aesthetic, too, an aesthetic that gave us shows like The Bear, which just got renewed. Somehow they had not already renewed it for season three, but The Bear renewed for season three on Hulu, where it remains a confusing FX on Hulu production, but, you know, we'll give them that. Uh, the, The big question in some people's minds is, what does this portend for the future of Hulu? We all basically knew Disney would buy out the remaining third. The other option was comcast saying you know what we're done trying to make peacock a thing we'll buy hulu which while that makes a lot of sense to me i can promise you the executives at comcast still think peacock's gonna happen
1: i also think they just expected that hulu would cost them a pretty penny And they might not have had that money to invest.
0: And does Disney? Because the question (laughs) is, how much is Hulu going to cost? The news broke last week that Disney agreed to finalize this deal. Uh, And I thought, great, we're finally going to learn the details. And the details are, we are going to negotiate the details with Comcast and have a deal in 2024. And just again, to emphasize this point, they signed a contract with Comcast in 2019 that said, in 2024, we will buy Hulu. Essentially what they said.
1: So, uh, we shouldn't be too surprised. And yet it is exciting that the moment seems to be coming.
0: The moment is sort of kind of coming soon. And we (laughs) almost maybe know what Hulu is worth. Because uh, the sticking point now that they will go into a, a kind of arbitration over is, well, yeah what is Hulu worth? Uh, When they originally struck this deal in 2019, this was part of Disney's acquisition of 20th Century Fox. Fox was originally the third owner of Hulu. And Disney said, in 2019, okay, Comcast, if you let us be the majority stake in Hulu, we promise that it's worth at least $27.5 billion in 2024. Just kind of like, sure, a ballpark. We'll, We'll agree to that floor. And at that value, Disney would need to pay at least uh, about $8.6 billion to Comcast to buy out the remaining third of Hulu. In the meantime, Comcast has had a change of heart about one thing and one thing only, how much money Disney should give Comcast. And so Comcast has been running around saying, Hulu's amazing. Hulu's value has only grown in the last four years. Why don't you give us more money for Hulu?
1: It's a, it's a compelling strategy.
0: I have to say it's a very simple tried and true business tactic. I love it.
1: (laughs) I would like more money.
0: I would like more money please and you signed something that said I can try to get more money from you by having uh, my understanding is basically uh, each side is going to get a separate independent valuation and then those two people will come together and uh, see how close are our independent valuations and if they're close enough they'll just kind of average it out and if they're far apart they will get a third even more independent valuation to eventually come to a determination of like uh, essentially if we tried to sell Hulu on the open market, how much could we get? Which is also just a bonkers uh, idea because no one has the money to buy the $30 billion Hulu Empire at this point. Disney barely seems to have the money to make their own content right now.
1: Good luck, Bob.
0: Yeah, Bob's crossing. This is Bob's albatross. Bob uh, tried to pass this off to Bob 2, and then Bob came back and got rid of Bob 2, and now Bob 1's problems are coming home to roost with Bob 1. How ironic. The other thing to keep in mind here is that Hulu is an extremely US brand. Hulu does mm-hmm. not exist overseas. It was one of the kind of catches of Hulu is because it was created by N- uh, NBC, ABC and Fox. It is a very US centric service and overseas most of the Hulu content is in a Star tab on Disney Plus, Star being uh, a very overseas-centric brand that means nothing to the U.S. Uh, So the the question is, uh, is Hulu simply going to become a tile inside the Disney Plus app, or uh, is Hulu going to continue to operate independently, but they're going to continue to push the bundle very hard? Or, Or is the Hulu branding maybe going to disappear one day, though I struggle to see a world where Disney pays all this money and then just lets the brand wither and die?
1: I agree. I I think another aspect of Hulu that's interesting is it uh, was released with ads as part of the platform. And right now we're seeing a lot of streamers figure out how to incorporate ad tech and um, they're ahead of the game with Hulu because that was always part of the deal. So even though some people watch Hulu without ads, um, it's always been part of their originals it's been part of their programming so i think that that could also be valuable for disney
0: yeah i think that's actually a very good point and uh, you know as we see every other streaming service move into the ad space one of the challenges they're facing is number one they don't have enough subscribers on their ad tier <clears throat> netflix <clears throat> Uh, and so, number two, you don't. if you don't have enough people to show ads to, you don't have enough inventory in the industry lingo uh, for the uh, people who want to buy ads, you don't have enough to sell them. And you can't make a compelling argument that they're going to get all these eyeballs on their ads because they look at your streaming service and they go, you're primarily an ad-free service. Again, <clears throat> Netflix. And so you wonder, well, how many people are really going to see my ad if I run it on your service? Hulu always had an ad tier, has always aggressively pushed the ad tier, and has built up a very robust ad subscriber base, and is really good at convincing advertisers, hey, we got all this inventory, you want some?
1: To me, that seems very valuable, and the idea of putting Hulu within Disney, I think is a little tricky for the US market where Disney Plus, though it does have some edgier content, which we may be discussing later today, Mm -hmm. is primarily a family service.
0: Yeah, and people will point out, okay, yes, but overseas Disney Plus has the Star tab and you can watch uh, the the Pam, Pam and Bobby with the sex tape show. Remember the sex tape show? Pam and Tommy. Pam and Tommy, I know my shows. You can watch Pam and Tommy on Disney Plus overseas. But I I think you are right, Diane, that the US market is very delicate for Disney. It is their home base. It is a, a, let's say, a part of the world that has a certain morality to it, like it or not, that they are afraid of offending. Uh, did you hear Diane about the the banned Bluey episode? It's I guess not technically banned, but there is a Bluey episode that does not exist on Disney Plus because Disney Plus is the international distributor. Uh, U.S. being international in this case uh, for Bluey. Bluey being an Australian and BBC co-pro. Bluey again, if you don't have children or haven't been exposed to children, in which case you're very fortunate. Uh, Bluey is an extremely popular children's cartoon about an Australian shepherd. It's an educational show for children about a cute dog with an accent. And there is one episode in which the dog's father, who is also a dog, pretends to give birth to another dog. And it teaches children about childbirth. That's the point of the episode. That episode conspicuously not available on Disney+. Plus.
1: Ooh, the the bluey content was too blue for American viewers. I love it.
0: That's what I'm saying. I'm like, yeah, I struggle to see them just jamming the bear next to bluey in the US. I think they don't have the stomach for it yet.
1: And I mean, like it or not, US consumers have a high revenue per user for Disney. So uh, compared to other markets, I I do think that they're going to um, prioritize.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm not sure Bob 1 uh, has the stomach for another culture war after watching Bob 2 botch the the don't say gay bill uh fiasco in Florida with Ron DeSantis. Bob 1 c- kind of Tried to be a hero in that, coming back and saying, no, no, Disney stands for inclusivity, la 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 la. But also, Bob One is not on a hot streak right now. And I I cannot imagine he learned nothing from that experience. I do think he took away a sense of, I would prefer not to wade into any of that.
1: Right. I think it's just a, a distraction and a waste of time for them.
0: Yeah, and for Bob in particular, I really do. I just like to put myself in Bob's brain. And what does Bob want to do today? And Bob does not want to defend Bluey or Pam and Tommy from the Republican national debates next year.
1: Uh, yeah, can you imagine watching Fargo on Disney?
0: Oh my gosh, Fargo's almost back. One of my favorite <laughs> FX on Hulu shows. And no, I cannot imagine watching it on Disney+. Plus.
1: <laughs> I think they're going to push the bundle as long as they can.
0: I think so, too, because the bundle also gives them a way to overcharge people without making it feel like they're being overcharged, because you're getting two things, two things, maybe even three things with ESPN+. Plus, But really, you're just getting one thing.
1: One expensive, ever more expensive thing. Uh, well, we'll be here to let you know that you're being ripped off.
0: I can't wait to tell you how ripped off you are being, but you know... They are making some moves towards merging some of this together in some ways, such as the upcoming Marvel show, Echo. We're going to talk a little bit more about Echo later in the episode, but Echo is going to be the first Marvel show that drops day and date on both Disney Plus and Hulu.
1: And again, I think this tells us something about what the content of this show will be and what type of viewers they're reaching, but we're we're going to dive into all things Marvel soon.
0: That we are, and before we do, we have to take a little, uh, round-robin, a detour through all of the major streamers who all seem to want one thing. You, viewer, to watch some ads. And that means we're going to begin with Netflix, which we all know is really leaning into the ad tier. They would love to get you on that standard ad tier. Used to be basic, now it's standard. And one of the things they're floating that uh, is interesting, though I think also unhealthy, is that people on ad-supported plans will be rewarded for binging content by seeing fewer ads or perhaps even ad-free episodes. Like maybe instead of an ad in the middle of The Crown, there will just be an ad in between your episodes of The Crown. What a treat.
1: This makes a lot of sense.
0: I it honestly uh- does. <laughs>
1: Okay, is it the most healthy thing? No, but uh binging Netflix wasn't healthy before, and I do enjoy it. I think that as a consumer, in some ways I need to be responsible for my own health and well-being. You know, I hope that they won't be showing ads for uh, you know, just tobacco products or something. But uh, <laughs> you know, there there should be some responsibility on both ends of the equation here. We're adults we can decide to stop binging something.
0: Uh, we think we can. That is true. <laughs> uh, but that's not the only place. You're going to see some fantastic ads on your streaming services. If you happen to use an Amazon fire device, a fire TV, a fire stick, uh, one of the fire branded streaming products, uh, you're going to start to see some more ads in your TV interface. And you might think, sure, my Roku shows me ads. My Roku screensaver, which, as many Roku owners know, takes you to Roku City. I I love to dip into Roku City. It's so beautiful. It's so wonderful. And occasionally a billboard floats by. Uh, One that I will never forget was for a show, I believe hosted by Judge Janine Pirro about American castles
1: oh cheers to you Judge Jeanine
0: isn't that beautiful they let her out of the studio so she could go see some castles but not castles in a country you know that has castles castles in America
1: is it white castles
0: <laughs> that would be a show I would watch Judge <laughs> Janine at White Castle <laughs> that feels really on brand for her
1: Judge Jeanine getting asked to leave White Castle, (laughs) green light it.
0: You know, that's the first show that would get me to tune into the Fox Nation streaming service. I would definitely do a free trial for that. Uh, But sadly, those are not the kinds of ads you will be seeing on your Amazon Fire device because instead, they're going to do what Amazon does best, show you ads for random stuff you can buy on Amazon. I don't know, laundry detergent, headphones, whatever, man. It's Amazon. They put ads on the cover of your books.
1: Oh, man. I mean... (laughs) it's crazy this is gonna work though right this is gonna sell them more stuff yeah
0: oh a thousand percent i'm sure
1: yeah i mean i think it shows where amazon's priorities are versus netflix showing where their priorities are with with their ad strategy uh this makes this makes good sense to me
0: Yeah. And reminder, as we've mentioned recently, Amazon is also going to start putting ads inside of Prime Video Shows, uh, which they did not used to do. But don't worry if you don't want to see those ads in your Prime Video Shows, you can pay an upcharge per month to remove them, which, again, is such an Amazon flex. I just love it.
1: Yeah. Amazon is like, oh, pay a little more and you won't have to see ads. Netflix is like, pay a little less, see some ads.
0: Yeah, truly, things going in two different directions. And what's interesting is both of them are kind of wading into this ad territory and streaming, but they're going from two different directions. I really am curious to see who has uh, more success on, again, the inventory side. You know, as a consumer, you might hate both of these suggestions, but if you are a business trying to sell ads to people's eyeballs, which of these is actually more attractive and more successful? obviously netflix has a leg up in terms of overall subscribers but as we are pointing out they are having a hard time convincing people to downgrade to the plans with ads
1: for many amazon shows the best word of mouth that they get i think is on amazon boxes
0: Uh, so true
1: so I think that uh, that this strategy could pay off for them.
0: I have no idea when Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power is coming back. And I don't need to look it up because I know that my laundry detergent one month will appear in a box that tells me.
1: Capitalism.
0: Oh, it's so good. You know what else is great about capitalism? Sports. And that's why we're going to briefly talk about uh, a lovely headline I saw that says YouTube's NFL Sunday Ticket facing $1.27 billion in annual losses. Annual losses. Uh, and, you know, DirecTV, which had Sunday Ticket for a long time, often lost money. In fact, I think always lost money. Uh, on on... <laughs> It is so crazy to be like, yeah, this crown jewel of the American sports empire. It's just a big money loser for the company that buys it for the nfl it's a big money maker Uh, but why why would youtube or directv or any a service say i will give you all this money for your sports package and i know i'm going to lose money annually carrying it well the answer is in this other nugget I saw that just uh, gave us a nice window into the state of advertising on uh, linear television. And this all translates, I think, upstream to the, the streaming universe. Um, I'm going to quote a little bit from a summary from the the wonderful Walt Hickey in his NumLock News newsletter. Uh, so in the upfronts where they, the uh, traditional networks pitch advertisers on their coming season and try to sell as much of their inventory, upfront as possible, Uh, sales for NFL ad inventory were like 85 to 90% of their inventory was sold. Fox managed to get $900,000 per 30-second ad, NBC $875,000 per 30-second ad, and CBS $820,000 per 30-second ad. That is because, as we've said before, the NFL is the top-rated TV show in America. Let's compare that, as, again, the wonderful Walt Hickey did, uh, to the highest-rated non-sports show in prime time. Diane, do you know what it is? 60 Minutes. It's 60 Minutes. Ah, timeless. 60 Minutes gets about $120,000 per 30-second ad. Again, $120,000 versus $820,000 per 30-second ad. That is the, the just massive gulf in audience, in attention, in interest between sports, NFL in particular in America, but sports and everything else.
1: They're the reason that network TV still exists.
0: Essentially so, that is correct. Uh, And so I just wanted to take a moment to remind people that the sports are where the money's at. And right now a lot of the major streamers are pivoting to two things. Ads and sports. Sports and ads. And you know what goes together really well? Ads and sports. Sports and ads. Because what, what do games have? A lot of time where nothing happens.
1: I mean, and especially the NFL. The NFL is brilliant at incorporating every single moment they're, they're, you're seeing an ad.
0: Everything is an ad, and also very little happens for most of the game. It's a lot of dead time where you can look at an ad or see a pre-game or post-game show that is essentially an ad. I saw one recently, I don't know why this was on my TV, but it was brought to you by the Army. The Army, (laughs) that's what we we need. The Army brings you football.
1: Oh yeah, that's a huge, that's a major advertiser.
0: Absolutely, is that how the government spends our money? I guess so, are they spending $820,000 for a 30-second spot? Sure, why not? People need to know, we have an army.
1: What else would we spend that on, schools? Don't be crazy.
0: Absolutely not. But I can think of some uh, other things that cost hundreds and thousands of uh, just absurd dollars, and most of them happen to be on a service we're going to talk a lot about today. That's right. We've reached the whole mess of Marvel. A bunch of headlines leading us to our uh, discussion and review of Loki. But before we talk about any spoilers in Loki, let's begin uh, with a show that I mentioned a little bit ago, Echo. Echo coming to Disney Plus and Hulu this winter. Uh, Echo is the first show uh, from the MCU, I'll use the words MCU, that is not focused on the larger MCU continuity. Instead, it is branded a Marvel Spotlight series, which Marvel is telling us is their new branding for Marvel shows that you don't need to know a lot to watch. That's the TLDR.
1: Honestly, that sounds really refreshing as someone experiencing some Marvel fatigue. Uh I I'm intrigued by the idea of a spotlight series
0: right i do think the idea is solid the timing is awkward and cringy just given everything going on with marvel and franchise fatigue right now it feels a little panicked i imagine it is much more thought out than it looks in this moment (laughs)
1: okay is it i don't know i
0: don't know i said imagine i'm just using my imagination diane
1: That's very generous. It may be the case. And it seems like this character has a a plot that's independent of most of the rest of the mcu but did still uh premiere on hawkeye correct
0: yeah i was about to say you know she she is a bit independent except i only know who she is because she was a major character in hawkeye and i liked her character in hawkeye She's a really interesting character i am down to watch a show following her and i would say as somebody experiencing marvel franchise fatigue i, I am more interested knowing that it's not feeding directly into something else.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, uh, though that also gives me the option, I think, if I don't click with it in an episode or two to uh, not finish it though.
0: Permission to, to get off the train, so to speak. Yeah, and not worry that, oh no, now I'm not gonna understand the, I don't know what's coming out in 20, the, the, the Avengers uh, Kang movie or whatever, whatever, man. You can at least watch this and either Take it for what it is, or not take it for what it is, and there isn't all that pressure to understand the bigger story. Again, with the asterisk that I only know who she is because she comes from another show based on an Avenger, but we'll give it some time. Another show based on an Avenger that featured a villain from Daredevil. I, you know, I'm trying to stay an open mind. D- a villain from Daredevil, who also will cross over with the Daredevil who appeared in She-Hulk. But again, I'm trying not to overthink it.
1: That's good. That's that's healthy. I do wonder, I mean, the upcoming box office, because Marvel is not just TV, Marvel is movies too. The upcoming year for the box office could be a real rough one. So many movies have already been delayed uh, because of the strikes. I do wonder, you know, if this might be exacerbating that potential problem.
0: I wonder. And, and we'll have to wait and see. The show doesn't premiere until January. I was a little over optimistic about how soon it's coming. I was thinking of Hawkeye, which is my favorite Christmas themed Marvel show, because it's the only Christmas themed the Marvel show, but that's fine. They they have a chance to bring me another one someday. Like a little present under the tree. The Rockefeller Center tree specifically. That's, a, that's an in-joke for you Hawkeye fans out there, all... 10 of you. Uh, But I, you know, I do wonder, is this a response to what's going on? Or is this something that they maybe always thought they would do with Echo, but didn't think they needed to highlight? And now they go, actually, it might be beneficial to highlight that this stands on, on its own a bit more. If you don't go see the Marvels this fall, their next big box office tent bowl, you won't be missing anything if you watch Echo, that they're not prerequisites for each other. And I do wonder if some of this is their fear that the box office is not just a little uh, scattered in the coming years, but is actively kind of sagging right now. Ant-Man and Mania didn't do, well, didn't do very well, he says in air quotes, because it still made hundreds of millions of dollars. But on the Marvel scale, it was a, a backslide, and people have similar feelings about Multiverse of Madness, about Thor, uh, Ra- whatever the last one was, Love and Thunder, uh, that, that you know, there's a question of, are we losing people because there's they feel like, I didn't see the last one, I don't hear amazing things about this next one, I'm not going to get caught up. I'm not, I'm not, I'm kind of going to close my open mind, you know? And they're saying, hey, with these spotlight shows, you can come in with a blank slate, all open mind, see if you like it, see if these characters are interesting. And if it doesn't click, we aren't going to punish you when you go to see the next movie and suddenly Echo runs out and saves the day and you're supposed to know who she is and what's going on.
1: I also wonder if part of this strategy is about, is tied to Echo's content specifically. It seems like it is more adult. It's like a a revenge series and it's supposed to be violent. It looked like it was going to be violent in the trailer. Um, The main character is a woman. Uh, an indigenous woman. I think that you know they might say, hey, this might skew to a slightly different demographic than your average Marvel film uh, though many people watch Marvel. Uh, so maybe they're trying to bring in new audiences and say, hey, it's okay if you didn't see uh, what what Quantumania? I did see these. It's terrible that <laughs> I don't remember these movies. I paid real human dollars to see.
0: (laughs) You know, it makes me go through a bit of a a thought experiment where I wonder if a show like She-Hulk had been branded as um, a a spotlight show, a Marvel spotlight show, would it have been received differently? Or would people have had different feelings about it? Because it, it felt like a show that wanted to sort of be its own vibe and stand on its own, and have its own characters doing their own thing, who happen to be in the Marvel Universe, but honestly, the the show Week to Week wasn't about the Marvel Universe. Uh, then they botched the landing by trying to tie it into the whole Marvel Universe in the finale, which is like the most Marvel thing to do, but you know, that's Marvel for you.
1: Yeah, and I think I had a very similar t- response to uh, Ms. Marvel, where I, you know, liked character but the way that it tied into the rest of the marvel plotting felt like kind of shoehorned yeah forced and i was much more interested in just seeing these young interesting characters go on adventures i wish we could have had that show
0: me too i think that's a theme we're going to come back to as we talk about loki a bit as well (laughs) um and and, you know it also uh makes me think about some of the uh talk let's say the the buzz around the upcoming marvels movie that's been through a, a decent amount of reshoots uh some of this i think is probably overblown uh industry gossip but one thing that has come out is that they felt like the original cut of the movie just threw some of these characters at you they were like Here's uh, uh, Rambo, M- Monica Rambo from uh, WandaVision. She's a Marvel. And here's Kamala Khan. She's a Marvel. And you're supposed to just kind of know, or the rumor was, the word was in the first cut of the movie. You're just supposed to know, oh, they're Marvels, and this is their background a little bit. You saw it, right? And that apparently the the notes they got, or the, the vibe they got in uh, screenings of that, were... Audiences didn't necessarily see all of those things, guys. You might need to introduce who these people are, because this movie is just a sequel to, you know, the one with the original Captain Marvel, called Captain Marvel. And you should not assume we know who these other women are yet.
1: Also... Even if I saw those movies, I might not remember every character.
0: I just struggled to remember the name of a character and the name of the show she appeared on because WandaVision aired 5,000 years ago.
1: Yeah, and that was one of the better ones. Yes! Some of these, you know, lesser shows, to be honest. Uh, you can't expect everyone to have seen all of and to remember all the plot details. Uh, again, I'm going to put, put a pin in this point because it um is tangential to my thoughts on loki a show i like
0: and and we are about to get their listener we will tease you endlessly (laughs) with loki uh you know i i think it's one of the unspoken so far challenges that marvel tv has had or at least in the recent weeks where there have been all of these stories that we've we've talked about uh all this bad press around marvel needing to reboot the daredevil show the retooling on the marvels movie so many of these things that make it seem like oh they they're only just figuring out how to make tv weird uh i i I think it's really odd That the promise of the Disney Plus Marvel shows, and again, I think of Ms. Marvel, I think of uh, She-Hulk, is that they would introduce new tone, new genres, new uh, cohorts, like new uh, generations of people. The whole point of Ms. Marvel is that they're teenagers. So, of course, you're inviting in new people who might not be up on everything else, and also, you're shifting genre and tone in a way that existing fans might not click with. And you have to be willing to accept that. You have to be willing to say, you know what? Ms. Marvel isn't going to be for everyone who loved Avengers Endgame. A lot of people will will overlap, but we're going to invite in some new people, and some other people we know will be like, nah, this one's not for me. And if... If your strategy is, we have a lot of variety, a lot of diversity in tone and style and person, so you can have a hero that fits your vibe, or a hero that makes you go, wow, I didn't think they could be a hero, that sounds awesome, but you have to accept the reality of, if you interconnect all of those and somehow make them each set up another thing that then requires you to have watched them all, you're, there are, the, the Venn diagram you are drawing is now not two circles. It's like 15 circles all trying to overlap, and the overlap in the center for who saw all 15 of them is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And so I think something like Marvel Spotlight with Echo is perhaps, an acknowledgement that you need to just rip that Venn diagram apart in the TV world and say, there's light overlap. Occasionally, some shows might have heavy overlap, but we should not expect them all to overlap unless they're all just going to be the same show, at which point, why are you making so many shows?
1: I agree with you. I do want to point out one thing that um, has been irking me a little bit is that okay so i think overall a move toward some stories not being essential to the overall plot is a good thing but the one that we're not gonna make everyone watch is the one that's finally led by a woman of color you know it's like uh we couldn't have made any of the 17 ones led by white guys optional
0: I, I'm sorry. Moon Knight. You couldn't have made Moon Knight the optional one. Moon Knight. Do you remember Moon Knight?
1: I didn't see Moon Knight.
0: Good. I don't think you I didn't missed much. I did see Secret in Invasion. Knight. Yeah. And, and same. Same. You know, like uh, those are shows that any one of those could have been the kickoff for Marvel Spotlight. Hey, we're doing a spotlight on Nick Fury just to give Nick Fury an adventure to go on. Does it need to tie into anything else? No. Nick Fury on an adventure should be enough. Moon Knight is about Oscar Isaac having multiple personalities and, like, running around a museum. That is... that screams weird one-off spotlight. But no, the first one that we brand spotlight comes at a very conspicuous timing when suddenly it seems like Marvel needs to shake things up for entirely, you know, self-enforced reasons. And then also is the most diverse show yet like oh i don't know spotlight on she's the deaf one that's what it feels like
1: right yeah it's um it's a little disappointing potentially but you know what maybe uh this will allow them to shake up their branding and 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 really expand the people for whom marvel feels like their thing so like, you know i hope i hope it's a positive thing like i said i thought the trailer looked surprisingly good
0: yeah me me too i and i again she was one of the more intriguing characters in hawkeye and i'm i'm a little bit of a hawkeye apologist i thought hawkeye was fun And uh, she's somebody who doesn't have an enormous role in it, so you get a taste of her. I I will say, like, Hawkeye, light spoilers maybe, has, like, a a Black Widow angle with one of the characters who then pops up in the really uh, not great Black Widow movie. And then uh, it has Echo. And of those two that were kind of introduced in Hawkeye... Oh, and then also new young Hawkeye, but whatever. Uh, The the Echo was the one where I was like, I want to see more of her. And she feels like she's off doing her own thing, which is enticing. Which makes me go, ooh, a corner of the Marvel world, not calling it the universe, the Marvel world, that I haven't seen yet. With people I haven't seen, it's not just going to be, I got to call the Hulk again. Oh, I got to find out what Captain America's doing. What does Cap think we should do? New Cap, old Cap, I don't know. Get the Falcon. Winter Soldier, is he available? No,
1: no more of them. Even though I guess the strategy is bring them back.
0: Well, that gets me to our final little Marvel note before we move on to Loki itself. Uh, All this, you know, potential hope maybe for Marvel shaking things up includes some Really weird ideas uh, that came out in a variety piece. We'll obviously link it in the show notes. Uh, And this variety piece, in some ways, is just a recap of a lot of Marvel's current uh, turmoil. But uh, some of the ideas that they are pitching, according to sources, industry sources, include, Hey guys, what if we brought back the dead Avengers everyone liked? Spoiler alert for the Avengers movies, Tony Stark eventually dies because they couldn't keep paying uh, Robert Downey Jr. $25 million a movie. Good for him, by the way. And, And so one idea pitched at a Marvel Company retreat was, well, with the multiverse, we could just bring back Tony Stark. How much would that cost? Hey, with the multiverse, we could just bring back Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. Even though her last outing with Disney was literally like a legal drama when she wanted to sue them for not paying her the back end she wanted so like I'm like those ideas seem baffling to me because here are two people who want seemingly nothing to do with the Marvel Universe anymore but they're they're sitting around a table on their at their retreat in some hotel conference room I imagine going okay but guys how much would it cost to convince them to come back
1: It kind of reminds me of this strategy with the Flash movie uh, that instead of talking about the Flash and why we should be interested in this character who is in the majority of the movie. There are
0: multiple of him in the majority of the movie.
1: They kept pushing, uh, you know, Michael Keaton, Batman, come see Michael Keaton as Batman. It's like, well, I love Michael Keaton as Batman, but good news. Those movies already exist. Yes, I, and- I don't need to go see a new movie full of you know uh, new characters. I, I I can just watch Michael Keaton as Batman.
0: Yeah, and honestly, I think that's the huge risk in in spending any amount of time or money trying to bring back, uh, trying to literally recapture the lightning in a bottle that was the original Avengers, the original Iron Man. Those were of their time. You have to make the new thing, not just desperately grasp at the old thing with your sweaty hands, like, no, 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 didn't you like it? Didn't you like it when Tony Stark made a funny quip? Huh?
1: I think that that is sort of a lesson across content right now, like across the entertainment sector. It seems like instead of investing in new stories, new characters, new creators, it's just, you know, what can we keep on the respirator? And it's not great.
0: Yeah, indeed, it is not great. Uh, And if you want some more not great details, they're in that variety piece.
1: Seeing it all together was quite a lot. I know we have talked about a lot of the stories in there before, but um it was like, wow what what a time to be a Marvel executive.
0: yeah and what it's a light indictment, let's say, of how uh, rough the transition from the, a, the uh, What do we call it? The Thanos saga? The Infinity Stone saga? The Infinity Stone saga that ended in, in Endgame. That was peak Marvel. That was them doing their interconnected storytelling uh, really well, and with the most success I think their interconnected storytelling will ever have. It was the most monoculture they could make it, and at this point, I think they're struggling to figure out how do we make the next thing like that? And they're trying very hard to recreate the same thing they had before. I think not realizing that, like, the landscape has changed. You know, all those, the original Avengers saga, Disney Plus didn't exist. Streaming uh, uh, Marvel shows didn't exist. They have invented a new era. But at the same time, they're trying to play their greatest hits as well. And uh, that, that tension is really coming to the fore.
1: Yeah, there is a name for it. It's like phase four.
0: Yeah, they never were really good at making the phases clear to me. I know there are phases. We're in phase four. No, we're in phase five.
1: What? When did that happen?
0: (laughs) Okay, so you're right, Diane. There are phases. Phase four was somehow... Oh man, I'm just gonna read this list. WandaVision, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Black Widow, Loki Season 1, What If, Shang-Chi, Eternals, Hawkeye, Spider-Man No Way Home, Moon Knight, Moon Knight, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Ms. Marvel, Thor Love and Thunder, She-Hulk Attorney at Law, uh, something called Werewolf by Night, oh I remember that, didn't see it, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special. Now we're in Phase 5, which began in 2023 with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And boy, if you look at what's in Phase 5, you wonder, oh no, have we lost the plot?
1: And really, Phase 4 was already a slide back.
0: Yeah, I gotta say, Phase 4 is like just a hodgepodge of streaming shows and some movies that did okay. Okay, sure. The the phase three was the infinity uh, saga that ended with Avengers Endgame uh, essentially, and then Spider Man Far From Home. That was a saga that was nothing but hits. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, Spider Man Homecoming, Black Panther, the good Avengers movies, Ant Man and the Wasp, Captain Marvel One, excellent phase. And then what? I do think like yeah, it was hard to top the the climax and denouement of uh, Avengers Endgame which which admittedly is also a really silly weird time travel heist movie.
1: Yeah, and also they called it Endgame. What did they expect?
0: Huh? Uh, uh, mhm. And now we're supposed to be gearing up for uh, the next Avengers movie, which would be Phase 5's The Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. Those are two movies that are somehow both in, I'm sorry, phase six. Look at how hard this is. Where are the movies in phase
1: five? And they're just gonna hope nobody cares that everything is happening with Jonathan Majors. We're not gonna talk about it, but
0: That is also in the variety piece and one of the reasons that they're spitballing, well, how much money would it take to bring back uh, Robert Downey Jr.? Because they're panicked about is our big villain for phase six, is he not going to be literally, like, is he going to be in jail? I mean, just say it. Is he going to be in jail? Or is he just going to be, you know, uh, canceled in the Hollywood culture? All are possibilities that they are suddenly much more worried about than before. And, you know, some people have pointed out you've invented a multiverse. You could just recast him. But also, they've sunk a lot into this, and I think recasting him would be a really rough move for them i think they really don't want to do that even though remind you there once was an edward norton playing the hulk yeah i mm, and that didn't even have a multiverse that was just like man hulk got a glow up okay he's so rough i mean they're
1: comic books they look different with different artists exactly it just makes sense to me
0: and honestly as we're about to discuss do we even like kang as a villain? That is perhaps a question that is better suited for our talents here on Streamageddon where, yes, after this very many, many tabs I had open about Marvel, all ready for your perusal in our show notes, we are really ready to talk about one show in particular. One that has been, uh, you know, relatively popular the last month or so and is about to have uh, perhaps an explosive finale, or perhaps something that just tells us we're going to see more in a movie in phase six. I'm talking, of course, about Loki. Let's just go. It only took us 45 minutes to get to Loki, and so I, I think we can set our timers. We have another hour and a half of podcast for you. Uh, no no I promise not that listener uh, but we are going to now uh, spoil some of what happened in Loki season one and Loki season two episodes one two three four and five but not six so there you have it we're talking about Loki uh Diane we both are caught up uh, through episode five and uh, I suppose I should say if you've never seen Loki and you're along for the ride, uh, it is about the character Loki, who you might have heard of from the Avengers movies, and Diane and I rewatched the pilot of Loki, the series, in preparation for this, and I had to remind myself, this is not the main Loki who we see... Uh, uh, spoilers die in Avengers Endgame, uh, or one, uh, whichever one of the last ones. Loki died, and Loki died in the movies, and then they went. uh yes, but in Endgame, we did a time travel heist to go back in time and steal the Tesseract, which was a big MacGuffin in the first movie with Loki. And so then that Loki gets the Tesseract and time travels away, and there is a living Loki from the past. So already. I have to remind myself, Loki has such a convoluted setup that is so deep in the Marvel franchise weeds, but so much of it is forgiven by the fact that once you get to the show, it's about Tom Hiddleston, Tom Hiddlestoning around in in a gorgeously designed retro futuristic universe where Owen Wilson is a charming um, murderous detective.
1: Yeah. I really love this show and I think it's very flawed. (laughs) Absolutely,
0: Um, uh, on both counts, yes.
1: (laughs) um, It reminds me of the the joke about, uh, you know, the people at the resort saying uh, the food here is terrible, yes, in such small portions. Because (laughs) uh, I, I, every week I'm like frustrated by some aspect, of something happening on Loki. I can't wait for the next episode to come out. I can't stop talking about the show, even though half the things I say about it are negative. And also six episodes is simply not enough.
0: Yes, that is maybe if you just wanted to end your episode of Streamageddon Here, listener, the answer we both came to is six episodes per season is not enough Loki. They are rushing it, they are not giving nearly enough love to each of these characters, and so things just lurch forward. You just gotta take a leap each week and go, I guess now this is what they want. And that is ultimately a frustrating viewing experience. But man, when it's fun, it is so much fun.
1: It really is. And I think a lot of that credit, not all of it, but a lot of that credit goes to this cast. It is a very fun ensemble. There are a ton of great actors who work across the MCU. But I think this might be my favorite uh, Marvel ensemble.
0: Yeah. And, and I would also point out it's one of the most diverse Marvel ensembles, uh, mm-hmm. at least in the Avengers adjacent sense, Loki being kind of Avengers adjacent. You know, uh, obviously, there are shows like Ms. Marvel that are uh, extremely very diverse in a specific community, and I love that. But here's a show that brings together, especially in season two, just tons of different uh, characters who each have their own background, certainly, but also their own vibe, their own perspective. They feel like a really interesting group of people brought together unexpectedly, which does recapture some of the juice of the Uh, the literal Avengers, the original Avengers movie, which was about, look at all of these superheroes who may not, you know, be that diverse in, you know, them all being white men mostly, but look at how they each have their own vibe from their own movies, and if we bring them together, they're unexpectedly a cool team. And when Loki hits, it's in these scenes where they bring together this unexpectedly cool team trying to do wacky time travel multiverse stuff, and each of them is played by an absolutely stunning, Deller actor,
1: yeah, and they've brought in some great folks for the new season. I mean, they brought back a lot of the great supporting cast, as you mentioned, Owen Wilson. Um, I love Gugu and raw on this show. Um, Eugene Cordero consistently hilarious. Um, uh, Wumi Masaku, who plays a uh, hunter, I think. B5. Yeah, yeah, she's great. Excellent. Um, so cool. And, and, and uh, sadly
0: doesn't get enough time. Her character has some amazing moments, but when we get any time to see her backstory uh, in episode five, where they go into their own timelines again, she's just like pediatrician.
1: <laughs> what right. is her character?
0: Pediatrician. And I'm like, God, give me something more. I love her so much. She's really
1: good. And she, you know, holds her own with Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson, which is not a small feat. Uh, you know, Jonathan Majors is also there, and uh, Ki Huy Quan is uh, got actually a pretty significant role in this new season, and I'm really enjoying his antics.
0: I I love him, and I love his an- antics, and the, the the brightness he brings to the show. He brings a level of kind of Daffy enthusiasm that is. Uh, perfectly in line with this universe of Loki. My my only g- complaint, so to speak, is that's all they give him for most of it. And at least in episode five, I will say, in episode five, when we get to meet who he originally was in his original timeline, and we get to see him as a slightly more toned down version of that, he finally gets to play a different layer of his character, and that was so satisfying, because all season I'd been saying, I love him, but they just... It's like the director walked into each scene and said, can you do it the exact same way you did it last time? And at a certain point, I want to see him... You know, having, for example, seen him in Everything Everywhere all at once, he got to play so many layers of one character. And we got to see so much range and see how talented he is. And I've been dying for him in particular, but also for some of these other characters like Hunter to to show us their range because they have it, but the show often doesn't have time for it. Ironically, time. See what I did there?
1: I do. I agree, but at the same time, We have so little time with the show that I don't know if I want them going on too many more diversions with these side characters because I find myself frequently in this new season confused about the characters' motivations and what is happening. Um, That has significantly improved each episode. Yeah. Uh, I found that um five was quite clear, four was strong, three was really cool and interesting, even though I was like, wait, what why? is going on? And for me, a lot of the my questions center around this character, Sylvie, who is, I believe, a Loki variant yeah. herself and is both a romantic interest of Loki's, but also him. She's also a version yeah. of himself. And it seems like in certain scenes, she's also an antagonist. And I'm kind of confused about what she's trying to do.
0: Yeah. And and that was a that confusion in some ways you just described was the plot arc of season one. And in a way, I thought they settled it in season one. And then in season two, they act like something has happened that we missed was my feeling, that we leap into season two, and suddenly they can't talk to each other anymore. They're like jilted lovers, or or they can never speak again, and it's not clear what— she just—she initially wanted to kill He Who Remains, Jonathan Major's uh, villain from season one, the man at the end of time, and she does, and, and then she goes to live at a McDonald's in the 80s in Oklahoma, basically, um, because she wants to have a quote-unquote normal life, which sort of jived with her character, sort of didn't. It left me with questions about, I, I, okay, I didn't know that was her ultimate end game, but cool, I guess I wanted to see her realize that's what she wanted. I'm not sure. It left me with a place of, well, why can't Loki go just talk to her now? And they acted like that that he, it was so hard. It would be so complicated that they can't, they don't see eye to eye anymore. And I actually rewatched the season finale of season one, uh, a couple episodes into season two, because I did feel just adrift with their relationship and what each of them wanted, not just from each other, but I didn't really understand what Loki wanted anymore because he he wanted her for so much of the the end of season one. So much of season one was kind of this deliciously weird thing of he meets his perfect match and it's him, but a woman. And, and in a way, there's something subversive and kind of... Um, uh, narcissistic and 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 just really an interesting character choice to be like, well, if you're so narcissistic, like the god of mischief is, is the only person you would ever fall in love with, you. And what if we gave you you? But they also have their own a- agency and motivation, and you'll have to bump into that. And people will also think this is incestuous and weird, man. And I that that hit such a great climax at the end of season one. And, and if you can't recall, like I couldn't recall, season one ends with Loki trying to stop Sylvie from killing He Who Remains because He Who Remains makes a compelling argument that uh, him and his deception of creating the TVA and making only one timeline was what was saving the universe from a multiversal war in which all of his variants go to war with each other and kill tons of people. And if you really interrogate this, uh, it falls apart a bit in my mind. But I thought it hit this point of, oh, they found a way to drive a wedge between Loki and Sylvie that felt really, like, difficult for Loki to come to. And the season ends with Sylvie knocking Loki through one of the time doors and killing he who remains and sort of betraying Loki. And then season two begins with Sylvie acting like Loki betrayed her. Which I can see how in that, you know, he he changed his mind about killing he who remains, but it's not nearly as brutal as how she betrayed him.
1: No. And also, if this is her goal, why is she hiding? You know, it just felt like a retreat. And she was such a like determined character that to show her that that we're just supposed to believe that this is where she wants to be now. It just felt like an excuse for What was admittedly kind of fun product placement, um, Mm -hmm. uh, like I kind of enjoyed the gimmick. The most
0: authentic looking McDonald's, the cleanest, most gleaming McDonald's you've ever seen that truly did look like how I remember McDonald's as a child in like the early 90s. Like they did capture this eerie sense of perfect McDonald's nostalgia. But then also I look at the McDonald's across the street from me and they have a giant ad up for Disney's 100th anniversary in your Happy Meal. And I'm like, right, it's all product placement synergy. Right, right.
1: It is, yeah. And it felt like it was more successful as product placement than as TV narrative. Uh, I I don't get what that had to do with Sylvie. I don't get what it had to do with her and Loki's arc. And it was too prominent to be So murky.
0: Yeah, and I I do think I finally got an answer to some of that in episode five, because in episode five, Sylvie takes Loki anywhere other than McDonald's in her timeline. She takes him to a bar, and then she knows the bartender, and she's, got, she's a regular, and they get a bourbon. And then Loki leaves, and Sylvie goes to her favorite record store, where she's a regular, and she knows the guy at the record store, and he, has, he recommends the Velvet Underground to her. And I'm like, oh, she has this community, this little life, and that's what she wants. But you didn't tell me that until episode five of six. If you told me that on episode five of 22, that's a different point in the season. And I'd be like, oh, okay, now I know where we're going. But you waited until the penultimate episode of the season to help me understand Sylvie's motivation. And she is arguably an even more main character than Owen Wilson's Mobius as the series goes on. Because she is a Loki. And the show is about Lokis
1: agreed but i just uh i don't know i don't like her character as much as i like mobius i i find that her scenes are really um tedious and i don't blame the actor i just think that like it seems like they've uh, made it laden with conflict so that it seems important but i don't care about any of their relationship issues in their present state no, the like, juicy, tantalizing part of their relationship that they established last season is now b- replaced with melodrama.
0: Yes, yes. And then she was originally sort of a villain for most of the first season. They're hunting her. She's the variant who's killing the Minutemen from the... TVA, the Time Variance Authority, and in season two, she can't be that anymore, and so they sort of replace her with the um, omnipresent villain of He Who Remains, a.k.a. Kang, a.k.a. whoever Jonathan Majors is playing this week, Victor Timely, whatever, uh, and, and that was confusing, because I was also like, I don't know who the villain is anymore, and, and it's okay to have like layers of villain and a reveal that the villain you thought is not the villain. They did that pretty well in the first season. In the first season, you thought Sylvie was this big villain and then there's a twist and you see she has this backstory and then she's actually you know fighting for her life and, and that worked for me in the first season. And in the second season, they seemingly negate some of that or abandon all of this good work they did and try to shift gears repeatedly. And it feels in service of setting up these Kang movies. It transparently feels like, yeah, we gotta shift gears to Kang, he's the villain now. You know, He Who Remains, Victor Timely, Kang, whatever you wanna call him, the guy who Jonathan Majors is playing is the one you should be paying attention to this week. And that was hard. Uh, not just for the meta reasons of, like, what are they going to do with Jonathan Majors. As I said when we were talking earlier, I don't know if I like him as a villain. I don't really understand the, the motivation of multiple versions of the same villain. The one from last season is dead. Now we got new ones. But none of—I I, I assume what's going to happen in the finale this week is that they're going to set him up as the major villain. That Loki is going to save the TVA, but at the expense of unleashing Kang on the multiverse. All right, that's sort of super predictable, and I I don't know, did we need the whole season to get there? I It, it doesn't feel earned, is what I'll say.
1: No, and I mean, the season is fun still. Like, that, the, what was it? 1893? What was that? Yeah, Yeah. that was a fun episode, you know, where we did something different,
0: confusing, Uh, but fun,
1: (laughs) confusing, but fun. Yeah. And I think that like, it made me wish that the show could do that. Like take these diversions and explore a different issue for an episode and, um, have something more like an adventure series that was not all setting up a movie. Right now, it's just the way that it's plotted feels convoluted. And um, it's like, I like a confusing piece of art. You know, I'll read Ulysses. Marvel's not Ulysses, and it needs to make me do less homework. You oh, know, yeah. Th- there just isn't the same payoff. And like some Easter eggs is fun. Yes. OK, I get it. Reward your fans in that way. But like, I don't need a Ph.D. in Marvel just to stare at Tom Hiddleston, please. It's too much work. It's just too much work at this point.
0: Yeah, like I I think a great Easter egg uh, and the kind that works is there's a scene, I think, in episode three, maybe episode four. Uh, probably episode four. They're in the the pie the pie room. You know the little mm-hmm. cafetorium yeah. that just has lots of neon kiln pie. Uh, and Hiddleston is telling Owen Wilson's Mobius a funny story about that time he held all of New York City hostage with an alien army. And that's a, that's a great little Easter egg to say, yeah, remember when we met Loki like 12 years ago in that Avengers movie where he was a villain? Remember that he was a villain before he became the hero of this show? Wink, wink. Great. And it's, a, it's an Easter egg that takes 10 seconds, not an entire episode or a whole season to unfurl. It just kind of says, hey, remember? And I go, yeah, I remember thanks
1: yeah yeah i i just um, i do think though uh, among the marvel shows this is still uh, a cut above most of them in quality
0: yeah and they are they are uh, both i I would actually say mm, i would actually say a cut above in multiple ways they are trying big swings some of those episodes this season where they travel back to you know the uh, world's exposition in chicago in 1893 just gorgeous and kind mm-hmm. of dramatic and a departure in some ways was it hard to follow yes but not because it was a bad idea to go there or do that but because no. they kind of undermined some of the characters we knew like like Ravana Renslayer and Miss Minutes they, they made Very little sense to me in that episode. Very disappointing to see Miss Minutes, the like sociopathic talking clock, suddenly turn to Victor Timely and be like, I want you to make me a body, daddy. I want you to love me. And I'm like, oh no, you sexualized the talking clock? What are you doing?
1: Yeah, that was such a creepy bad choice.
0: Oh, but, but... The concept of that episode, going back to this time of, like, electrification and industrialization and, you know, kind of flim-flam, people like Victor Timely hawking their inventions, so fun. Brilliant in some ways. And, And I could even forgive the really annoying vocal affectation that he chose for victor timely i can forgive that because i had so much fun going there but the complaint was that i couldn't follow these characters motivations episode to episode i was just kind of like i'm watching a really exciting screensaver sometimes it's really Mm -hmm. beautiful it's really fun why is any of it happening
1: i agree i agree wholeheartedly with that and i do think It's getting better with each episode. And so we might be in for a very satisfying finale.
0: We might. I would bet against that, given Marvel's (laughs) track record with finales on their shows. But I remain ever optimistic. Uh, I think episode five, where he gets the gang back together by going to visit them in their original timeline, so to speak, uh, was extremely satisfying and also really predictable. And I say that as a good thing. I understood what was happening in that episode, and I understood why people were doing what they were doing. And it finally hit a point where Loki gets to say what he wants, which is, I want my friends. And Sylvie gets to finally say something that makes makes it clear what their beef is, even though it took five episodes of the season to get there, which is, yeah, you want your friends, but your friends are only your friends at the TVA because the TVA ripped them out of their lives and put them in this place and erased their memories and said, this is all you know. So do you really want to do that to them again, right? Is it fair to Owen Wilson's original human who ha- is this single dad who sells sea dews. like is it fair to him to rip him away from his family because you like Mobius he's your pie friend
1: well I think that part of that though is then Mobius is now working to save the kids of Don the sea salesman right
0: Yes, which I think gets us to maybe the thing I, I kind of hate the most about this season is the the temporal loom, which does give us a lot uh, of fun stuff for Oros Boros, OB, to talk about and and have a lot of enthusiastic feelings about. But honestly, the the universe-will-end stakes of it all undermines some of the character motivation for me and just makes me think, okay... Uh, Sylvie just made an amazing point to Loki and Loki just expressed his feelings. But does any of it matter if the universe is going to blow up?
1: But isn't that what superhero movies do?
0: Well, I'm saying I want this to be a TV show, honey. that's, that's like I know. I'm, like, I'm, I'm just saying like, I want a TV show
1: right. It's just like you know, I it's every episode of Superman and Lois does he save the world or the girl? I mean, I don't know.
0: Those stakes are clear, though. These stakes overlap in a complicated way sometimes where I'm just not Agreed. really sure. Because again, you know, Loki says that the loom is going to blow up. And then he's like, no, go back to your homes. And he's like, no, the loom is going to blow up. Everyone's turning to spaghetti. I'm going to go back in time and save them all. And it's just those turns all happen back to back to back in a way that makes it feel like, well, you can say whatever, because in five minutes you're going to say something else. Whereas if it happened five episodes from now, I would go, oh, after going on some adventures and learning some things about these characters, you discovered a new motivation. You discovered a new turn in the arc that, that makes it clear there are higher stakes. But instead, the stakes change minute to minute sometimes.
1: They do. And I think that maybe what I'm experiencing is not just Marvel fatigue, but multiverse fatigue. Because if every time something gets killed off or something changes in the world, we can just go back in time and unchange it. You're killing the stakes. There's now no dramatic tension whatsoever. You're bringing back Iron Man. What? That doesn't make any sense. You know, I mean... If you wanted to like reboot Iron Man as a character, that'd be one thing. But if it's just that everything that happened before no longer exists in the same way, that just feels like a cop-out. And it undermines your plot.
0: Yeah, that's the risk in some ways of the ever-escalating stakes of the interconnected superhero universe in general is, okay, we saved the world, now we save the planet, now we save the universe, now we save the multiverse. I don't know what else there's left to save can you bring the stakes back down to a more personal level where I can be invested in the characters and maybe they're not saving the universe, maybe they're just saving their friends?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's going to happen
0: in this episode, Chris. <laughs> Probably not. I think you're onto to something there. But we got a nice taste of that in episode five, and I really appreciated it.
1: Yeah, it was a, it was a very, very fun hour of television.
0: Actually only hour? 45 minutes on that one hour, and that yeah. that served it well. I am gonna I am gonna annoy many people by saying I wish there were more episodes and I wish they were all shorter than the hour long ones. The 45 minute ones work so much better.
1: I agree. Keep it snappy.
0: Yeah, that's what we want. It's supposed to be it's supposed to be light and fun so that when it's dramatic or gruesome, for example, when that like time box squishes all of those hunters, uh you cool. That was a really like jaw dropping moment when I I hear but don't see a bunch of humans get squished into a pulp. Have that punctuate the the more lighthearted fun stakes of the show, and don't don't go. Oh, that's nothing. Wait until you see we blow up the multiverse. I'm like ah, oh, guys, please blow yeah. up the multiverse. I'm begging you to blow up the multiverse.
1: I that would be great. But the, I, I think that their next move depends on the multiverse.
0: I do think that is accurate. Yes, I would be willing to bet money on, no, no, the multiverse is here to stay. And in fact, we're going to get even more of it uh, quite quite soon, perhaps, when Loki has its season finale this Thursday on Disney+. Plus.
1: I hope they replace Jonathan Majors.
0: I think, yeah, me too. I'm going to say it. Uh, Honestly, I hope they just kind of go, maybe this is the wrong villain. We didn't mention it in the Variety article. Apparently, at their retreat, Marvel pitched, what if we pivoted villains to someone else from the comics, like Doctor Doom? And, And honestly, I think, not too late. Not too late. In some ways, I would find all of the Victor Timely, He Who Remains stuff more satisfying if... It did not lead to a whole movie series about this character, but was instead uh, just, "Hey, yeah, there was this multiverse villain, and Loki helped defeat him, and now Loki's off to his next adventure with Doctor Doom." Like, oh, oh my God! Well, how how satisfying would it be if any one of these shows had a conclusion?
1: Ooh, tantalizing.
0: I know, I know. I shouldn't, I shouldn't put that in the universe, let alone the multiverse. Terrible idea. Uh, But, you know, listener, we want to know what you want out of the multiverse or the Marvel Cinematic Universe, whichever verse you want to live in. Uh, Are you verse? Tell us. Podcast at streamageddon.com. That's how you can reach us and give us your thoughts. And we will be back in your feed with our thoughts about the Loki finale next week. I know this seemed aggressive. Angry, but we both really enjoy watching this show. I had so much fun re-watching the pilot. The pilot is a delight and a reminder that this always had its head up Marvel's own butt. It begins with a reference to a movie that references an earlier movie in, in a whole scene with a bunch of Avengers time-traveling. And, you know, I think it is important to remind me, me, let alone you, listener, that that's the world this lives in. And that's okay, too. And if you love that, tell us why. Podcast at streamagain.com. Until then, though, Diane, I'm going to see you very soon after we digest the Loki finale. Are you prepared?
1: I hope so. I might need to study up. I
0: I hope we don't, but I bet we do. (laughs) And there's no better way to study up on the Marvel Universe than to say it with me, Diane. Diane. Keep Keep streaming. streaming.
1: Ooh, tantalizing.